I'm going to ask you, I'm going to go right to the, the word of the Lord here today and to turn to two passages of scripture will be in Acts chapter number 20 and 1 John 5. I've breached from my series on the word of faith last week. I'm doing so again today. I didn't think I would, but I did. Acts chapter number 20. When you find it, if you would, you can stand and honor the reading of Scripture. It's not a lot of Scripture reading here today. It's a little bit lengthy passage here. It's when the Apostle Paul has, call, has called the elders of the church at Ephesus, or the elders of the church of Ephesus, from Miletus, it says, the 17th verse. You can read that for yourself. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. We're going to skip in a little bit farther into some of the exhortation that he made to these men. He said, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. It's an exhortation to pastors and leaders to, to take the oversight. The word feed there can also be translated rule, as in rulership, to take the oversight thereof, and then also to feed the church. For I know this, that after my... But, he, but he's also drawing attention to the way he has, has helped to lead the church during this time period. He said, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So it's almost as if he's reminding the pastors, that's your responsibility. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. Tuck that away. Don't forget it because it's going to seem contrary to the text of Scripture we're going to read now for five verses of Scripture found in 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter number 5. We're going to commence in verse number 9. We're going to conclude in verse 13, so it's not that long, five verses. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So let's pray today without title or direction, and we'll just see where the Lord, or what the Lord has put on my heart here today, and let's ask him to open our hearts to receive. Father, I love you today. I feel very blessed to be able to share. I'm grateful that the people's heart is pliable. I hope that mine is. It seems as if the people's heart is pliable here today. I pray today, Father, in Jesus' name, that you'll give me a supernatural gifting that goes beyond myself to share the things that are deeply embedded in my heart and my spirit today. I pray that nothing will distract us from one of the most important subject matters that I'm going to bring to this pulpit. I know it's redundant. I said something similar last week. But Father, I believe it with all my heart. Bless the people. Bless us to receive. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen. Scratchy throat. So authorized in the sanctuary at First Assembly of God is this clear liquid because this is from heaven this is from God and don't tell me that your Java is and all that stuff it's not in this sanctuary it is the work of Satan so obviously as we go into to that text in Acts Paul gives an exhortation to leaders in the church that it's our job to take care of the flock the word rule there, it actually said feed, but it's translated rule in other places, which means to govern, to give oversight. But then tying it to his own 
as he said to Timothy, you know, the, the things you have seen in me, you know, he said, I, I sought to warn you for three years. Part of my responsibility includes warning the sheep of impending danger. It's part of it. It's not just all feel-good sermons. It's not always just shouting and dancing in the presence of God, though we great, we're grateful for those moments. But sometimes there are seasons in ministry that you come along and you have to address some things from the pulpit because you give me a listening ear and an opportunity. Last week, and I went back and listened to the message, and I spoke in response to the horrific events that had taken place the night before that we were just then still learning of. Got up that Sunday morning just learning of the attack on Israel. And I, I, I had, uh, or excuse, I guess that was two weeks ago, I'm sorry, but it was the previous week that we had just learned about it and then had, had learned more of it. And so I had spent the entirety of the week wrestling out some things, arriving at the place where my sermon would condemn wholeheartedly the atrocious, murderous acts of, of the Hamas, not Hamas, as I used so freely last week. So the only time I'm going to make any light of that at all, because someone reminded me, and not in a disparaging way, but it was, it was not Hamas, it was Hamas. And I did tell you as a, for, you know, I warned you in advance that sometimes I say things the wrong way, and I usually try to do it with a smile like I meant to do it that way. Um, so I'm not beyond doing that. Uh, so I know hummus sounds like hummus, and it had people hungry, so that we can't go there, number one. But I told them I was actually right, because it's Hamas when there's one, but when there's more than one, it's Hamas. But never mind, we'll just move on real quickly from that. Took you a minute. There's always, I'm kind of like, I've learned from Sherry, if you'll spin it just right, you'll always be right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So, with that said, I took the angle, I took the angle of support, wholehearted support for Israel's response against that organization. But I also tempered our church family about prayer for those that are going to be caught in the crossfire. And that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there's still 7 million Palestinians living within the borders of the land and 7 million Jews and things can get worse before they'll get better. And they've, got, I, 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 they've gotten worse from that time till now. Um, so, so that was my desire. In listening to myself preach on this subject, here's what I, if I was judging, if I didn't know that preacher, here's what I'd say. He's sincere. He's very sincere. Um, I believe that I was accurate biblically in my, uh, my applying scriptures for us to pray, pray for a quiet and peaceable life, pray for... Uh, salvation for the Jew and also for the Gentile. I believe that. I'm erratic in my preaching because I don't know that much about it. And you can tell. If you're new to our church, you can just tell that I'm not comfortable. I'm probably going to be there a little bit today. But, but, I, but I'm compelled by a conviction based upon Acts 20 and other places that even if I'm uncomfortable, as long as my heart's right and I'm teaching things that are doctrinally sound... I'm not trying to teach you everything about a subject. I'm hopefully going to spark you to be more aware. That's part of the reason why I do those things in the way that I do them. So I, wanna, I almost titled a sermon today that Hamas is not a terrorist organization. Because I knew if I said that to you, there, there would be a lull just like there was just then. And maybe and I, that's the reason that that's what I wanted to title this message because I have... I'm going to tell you what it actually is. It is actually an Islamic fundamental group is what it is. But we don't like to talk about that as much because we're afraid of Islamic phobia. And, and, but I'm going to move all that aside today. I'm going to go to the core of what's driving the beliefs of the organization and many other organizations, because you need to be aware. Let me see the hands of, of any, I got to take my glasses off, see the hands of any young adult in the room with us today that's between 12 and, let's say, 25 years of age. Let's just see. Probably not a lot, but some. Let me look around. Quite a few. Quite a few here. 12 to 25. Sorry, Alyssa. <laughs> so, you're close at 26, but nonetheless. All right, so this message is as much for you as anyone else. Because you're in a public education system 
both at the, uh, at the high school level and then also perhaps soon at the collegiate level that may not tell you the truth, that may not take you to the core beliefs that drives what we saw two weeks ago coming into Israel, okay? So we're going to talk about, I'm going to answer the question that was posed to President Biden, okay? He was asked the question, or he made the statement, either one, about what he believed was the greatest threat to not only America, the known world. Now, there's a part of me that wants to say that the number one greatest threat would be a second Biden administration, but I'm not going to necessarily go there today. Number two, though, I'm going to say is really the, the, the number one. The greatest threat to the civilization as we know it today is Islam. Let me go ahead and just tell you right now, it's Islam. So the numbers are staggering, okay? 1.9 billion people today. Closing the gap between Christianity. Christianity, the numbers today are 2.2 billion people. Islam is expected to draw even with Christianity by the year 2050 and then begin to exceed it from there. In the United States, often it's out of sight and out of mind because we don't have a lot of Muslims in America. We do, it's grown. So the notes that I'm going to be preaching from today were preached in 2010. I retained these notes and I've adapted them for right now, but the numbers... In the year 2000, there were 2,100 mosques in America, and uh, no, excuse me, in, 20, in the year 2000, there were 1,200 mosques in America, and the year 2010, there was 2,100, and now there's around 3,000. In 2010, there was approximately 2.75 million Muslims in America, and today there are 3.45 million. It's about 1% of the American population. And so uh, sometimes we don't see it to the degree, and we don't, un, we don't even strive to understand it. But here's, the, again, where I want to go back. So worldwide, obviously, the majority of Muslims are not Islamic fundamentalists. But I'm going to come to that in just a little while, though, but that, that's deceptive. Just that statement is deceptive. However, they tell us about 15% are considered radical fundamentalists. Right, 15%. Well, it was just 15%. 15% of 1.9 billion is 270 million people that at any moment are prepared to practice jihad. Okay? At any moment, they're just waiting for a spark. That spark could have been when Hamas entered into Israel and now Israel's response. That could be the spark. So what I want to share with a little bit today, I'm going to share some things that are on my heart that I've studied. I know, again, I won't sound like I know these things well, and I don't, but I'm grateful for those that do, and I can glean to the same as you, and I'm going to share what I feel like. I'm going to give you a little bit of a history. The word Islam, just the word Islam simply means submission to Allah. I'll give you a brief history, a very brief history of the complicated life of the man that has given, uh, is the prophet of Islam that is re revered worldwide. As a matter of fact, a sermon that like I will preach today, if it was preached in certain nations of this world, without hesitancy, I would be in threat of death before, even before I could conclude the sermon. So Muhammad was born in 570 A.D. 570 A.D. His mother was described as a sickly woman that had, uh, participate, had a lot of hallucinations and she had participated in the occult. His father had died before he was born and um, his mother died when he was six years of age, and he was raised by his grandfather for the next three years when his grandfather died as well, and he was raised by his uncle. Um, as a young man, he would interact with a lot of people. He interacted with Jews and Christians, heretical Christians. He would listen to many of their teachings. It's noted in history that he ran away from the battlefield at the age of 25 years of age. And because of that, in the community in which he was dwelling, he was considered an outcast. He becomes a shepherd. He becomes a traveling merchant. And during those travels, it's where he met his first wife. And I do say first wife. And she is uh, 15 years his senior, 15 years older than him. And she is a wealthy widow. And so suddenly, Muhammad is brought into this moment where he's gone from almost being uh, impoverished to now he's becoming financially sound. He takes part of of leading her business, and that traveling merchant business continues, but he suddenly has more time available because of the wealth of his, of his wife. And so 
at the age of 40, he begins to meditate, go out into the mountains, sometimes for as long as three weeks at a time. And he will meditate in the mountains. And he then begins to even go into certain caves outside of the city of Mecca. Mecca is an idolatrous city. It's a hub of Arabic idolatry with up to 360 idols worshipped in a particular shrine called the Kaaba. And, and so he's outside in the mountains and he's meditating when there in the caves he receives what he calls a visitation from the angel Gabriel. When these visitations come upon Muhammad, he goes into a trance. His eyes will roll back into the back of his head. He will shake violently. He will foam at the mouth. He will sweat profusely. And yet he receives what he calls revelation from the angel Gabriel. He uh, will receive these revelations over the next 23-year period of time in which he commences to recite this information to his followers who scribe them down upon anything that they can find. Not everybody had a notebook or a tablet to write on. Some of the Quran had been scripted on pieces of bone and parchment. Whatever, when the prophet had a sudden uh, desire to share some of these revelations, somebody would grab whatever writing instrument they could find and write them before it would be uh, eventually accumulated into what we call the Quran. His wife was the first convert to Islam because she's the one that encouraged him to then begin to share uh, these revelations. So after three years, he begins to publicly share some of his new doctrine. Now, his new doctrine centers around the revelation that Allah is God. Now, Today, that's debatable whether or not he perceives the God of the Hebrews as that same Allah. Allah in Arabic is simply God. And so there's another side to that that I won't go into today. I don't necessarily believe that Allah is the same as the God of Abraham. But many Muslims do attempt to say it that way. And so that there are no other gods but Allah. Allah is Arabic for God. And one of his primary doctrines is Allah is creator, but he is not paternal. And so, therefore, he is not father and he has no son. Thus, we'll get back to that particular uh, thought here in just a little while. Initially, he has very little success. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the idol worshipers are turned off by this doctrine. And actually, they turn on, on, on uh, Muhammad and he's forced to flee. He flees from Mecca to Medina. And, and from there, he, uh, he sets up his headquarters and, and he turns. He's got some followers, just not a lot. But in order to sustain his new movement, he and his followers began to turn to violent caravan raiding. Because a lot of caravans passing through that particular area. And they often murder the traders. I believe that I saw the number of about 27 caravans that they, and I'm not talking about Dodge or Chrysler. I'm talking about an ancient caravan of merchants and travelers. And they would actually, they typically murdered those that were in the caravan. Um, but his teachings began to gain some support. And so he began then, once he begins to gain certain supports with uh, coinciding with some of the doctrine that he's teaching in the, uh, the, under the Quran, he, he launches several bloody military campaigns. Actually, he takes both the city of Medina and Mecca. In uh, one particular uh, act of warfare upon a group of Jewish, a Jewish settlement there that was outside of Mecca, I believe, like a suburb of Mecca, they slaughtered uh, around six to 900 Jewish men uh, 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 take what is it? What is the word? Uh, taking their head off. What does that see with the c decapitating, decapitating them, and and then taking their and taking their uh, wives from them. And I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. That was part, of course, for the violent military com campaigns of the newly formed Islamic religion. And so, over the uh, next hundreds of years after after he dies, he dies of a short illness at 62. Now, I'm not going to, I'm going to tell you some more about his life in a moment. He died of a short illness at the age of 62. His leadership was followed by a succession of caliphs or caliphs or caliphs. I may not say it right. Uh, for the next hundreds of years, though, Islam begins to grow mightily. It's not only aided by multiplication of their teaching and such, but also of jihad as the violent jihad and the forced conversions of the communities that they took. Islam was extremely active in the slave trade, turning hundreds of thousands of Christians and Jews, into, uh, men and women, into slaves and their children, as well as purchasing multiplied hundreds of thousands of black slaves from the African tribal chiefs. 
Now, Islam spread as far as Asia and Europe was eventually turned back from those particular areas, making only little headway in those cultures. It's dominant in the Middle East and in Northern Africa. I'm going to give you more information about that. So that's just a brief synopsis. It was born in blood, and it continues to advance in blood to this very hour in which we stand. And it's been, for almost in America, it was almost hidden in our awareness until certain events like the bombing of the World Trade Centers, the, looking back the first time, not when they were destroyed, but the first time. We began to see and learn a little bit more about this radical ideology that we would call Islam. Now, concerning the Quran, that's the teaching, that's their book. Their book is about the size of two-thirds of the New Testament. So if you take the Gospel of Matthew and go to the book of Revelation, the Quran is about the size of two-thirds of this New Testament. But a closer examination, and so what it is actually is, it's said of Muhammad, most even Islamic scholars believe he was illiterate. Because he said that when the angel Gabriel spoke to him and said, write these things down, his response was, you know I can't write these down because I don't know how to write them down. That's debated amongst the Islamic scholars, but it's held to by most because that's their way of saying he received this by divine revelation. It's not anything he could have fabricated of his own. A close examination of the actual text will reveal it is fragmented, it's disoriented, it's hard to even understand. It makes little sense as every fifth or sixth verse lacks any rational understanding at all whatsoever. Um, let me give you, a, so, so here's where most believe that it was actually originated from. Many of the verses were taken from Jewish and heretical Christian teachings in folklore. Because when, when on those caravans, there, there are a lot of different people groups of, of uh, heretical Christian uh, teachings and also Jewish uh, folklores, but when the night would fall, everybody wasn't on their iPhone. They would sit around the fires, and they would discuss things. So he learned a lot of things were put in him. So many of some of those verses were taken. So like, let me give you a little bit of the air of, of some of the things uh, that, that, that are in the Quran. The Quran says that Adam and Eve did not sin on the earth. They sinned in heaven, and they were cast to the earth. And so then Noah didn't have three sons. He had only one son, and he died in the flood. Abraham's father was not Terah. His name, his father was Azar. And so Moses was adopted not by Pharaoh's daughter, but he was adopted by Pharaoh's wife. And then Pharaoh tells Haman to build a tower. <laughs> and Mary was the sister to Aaron. Remember the Miriam of old? You know, that uh, Moses, but Mary, Jesus' mother, he says, was the sister to Aaron. And so there's, it's similar to the Jewish Talmud. There's so many things. Now, the Quran is, believes it is the supposed word of God to the Muslim community. And it supposedly considers the Torah, the Psalms of David, and the Gospels as holy books. But they also use a, a teaching called the Hadith. And the Hadith is writings that were supposedly recited, they're not the Quran, but Moses, or excuse me, Muhammad expounded upon these things, and their writers later wrote these words down. This was not divine revelation. This was this is Muhammad uh, got kind of given commentary to the Quran. The problem with that is the Hadith was compiled, the writings came two to three hundred years after the Quran. Two to three hundred years after the Quran. So let's go a little bit further into Muhammad's life for just a moment. Muhammad was married to his first five wife, excuse me, for 25 years. But after she died, uh, through revelation, he begins to practice polygamy. He would marry 15 additional wives. Can I have just a little bit more monitor up here to help me? 15 additional wives. One of which was a six-year-old little girl that he consummated the marriage when she was nine. Let's go farther. There was one particular instance where one of his close, I think it was his nephew, who had a beautiful young wife, and Muhammad lusted for her, but the young man saw that and offered his wife to the prophet. But the revelation that he had received from Gabriel at that time forbade such. But Muhammad thought on it for a while, gained new revelation, shared that with his nephew, let's call him the nephew, 
and the nephew presented his wife to Muhammad to take as his wife. So with this, though, he often boasted of having sex with all 16 of his wives in a single night, declaring Allah had given him the strength of 40 men. Now in the Quran, he encourages and allows men to marry up to four women. Many uh, Islamic men exceed this number because he, they actually said, well, he meant that you would only marry four at a time. So they would marry four and then divorce them. And so the way you would, could divorce in many Islamic cultures is you simply have to tell your wife three times consecutively, I divorce you. And the marriage could be uh, not annulled, but they would be divorced. So while only four wives, though, a man could have innumerable concubines, especially slave girls. Now, women have been viciously mistreated in the Islamic culture, and they are to this day, often taken as either slaves or concubine members as a result of the Islamic jihad, to which we're going to get to in a moment. Muhammad married one Jewish woman. So go back to when I told you the story that in one of their, uh, uh, one of their uh, acts of warfare, when they killed 600 to 900 Jewish men, it was in a suburb that was outside. As they began to get movement and strength, and they began to grow in their in their, uh, um, in, in their, their militant jihad. So they took this community and they gave all the Jewish men the opportunity to recant their Jewish faith and become uh, you know, followers of Allah, and the men refused. And that's when they decapitated all 600 to 900 men in front of their wives and their children. And Muhammad chose one of those women, those Jewish women, to be his wife. And he forced himself upon her that very night, the very day that she had watched her husband die through beheading. In the Quran, Muhammad authorizes gang rape of captured slave women. According to the Quran, a Muslim husband can beat his wife into submission as long as he doesn't break bones or bring blood. Muslim women have little representation in court. Their testimony is equal to only half of a man's testimony. Muhammad described women as ignorant, deficient in intelligence and religion, and I'll tell you what, orthodox, Traditional Islamic cultures still hold to that to this very day. In his supposed vision of hell, Muhammad claimed that most of the sufferers in hell were women. I would go ahead and dare say it this way. In the hell in life that he's created for them in Islam, that's where they suffer. So I'll give you a little bit about the theology of Islam for just a moment. So y'all are staying with me. Where's my 15 to 25-year-olds out here? This message, I'm going to come back to why am I telling this today? The reason why I'm telling you this today is is because the organization, how is it again? Hamas. Y'all got to help me with these things. I never even liked hummus, just to be honest. Sherry and Alyssa tried to throw that on me. I don't want to eat that. So I struggle with it a little bit here. The reason why I want you to know this is, if Israel is successful and they annihilate it, it's not going away. It's just going to morph into another entity. It just will. I watched watched a news broadcast this week where they were interviewing a combat veteran of the United States military who, in a a better way, said this. It said, the tragedy of this is, is that if they wipe out the organization... All those little children that are displaced will be the next, and 20 years from now, another Islamic fundamentalist terroristic group will emerge in its place because Islam is what's producing it. It's not about the land. It's about an ideology and a doctrine that I'll tell you what it is in a moment. I won't get there just yet. Five fundamentals of Islam. I'll touch it real quickly. They believe in one God, Allah. They believe two in angels, 
including demons or devils. They believe in revealed books that I've already mentioned, but they don't interpret them the same way as we do. They believe in prophets, of whom Muhammad is the greatest. I'll mention some of those in just a moment. And they do believe in life after death. That's the five fundamentals of Islam. But there are six practices of pillars of faith that are to some, uh, some of which are supposedly peaceful. Number one, an open confession of faith. You must be submitted to Allah. Number one. Number two, five daily prayers originally towards Jerusalem, but later turned towards Mecca. Five daily prayers. Many of you, perhaps all of you, have heard the call to prayer in the Muslim community. Surprisingly to most of us that on our journey to Israel long years ago, that the Jewish state of Israel allows in the city of Jerusalem the call to prayer to be made over the loudspeakers. So you're walking through holy sites, supposed holy sites, to look at the Via Della Rosa where Jesus suffered on his way to Calvary hearing the Muslim call to prayer five times a day. So let's go farther. So number one, open confession of faith. Number two, daily prayers. Number three, keeping the fast during the month of Ramadan. Number four, giving of alms. And number five, a pilgrimage to Mecca, if you can afford it at least once in a lifetime. But it's the sixth one that's most frightening. That's what we're seeing happen what we saw two weeks ago. It's jihad. Jihad is the practice of warfare in the name of Allah. Muhammad empowered and authorized jihad in the Quran to spread Islam by the sword and to kill the unbelievers or the infidel. The Quran contains 109 verses of jihad. Muhammad was asked, what are the two greatest commandments of the Quran? Remember that? Someone asked Jesus a similar question, right? What are the greatest commandments? What did he say? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's what he said, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Muhammad was asked a similar question, and he said the first is submission to Allah, and number two, to practice jihad. Radical fundamentalists will kill both the unbeliever and who they believe to be an apostate Muslim, as you see and have seen in civil wars in the Middle East. And back in the time I wrote this sermon, originally in 2010, it was in Iraq, and then Iraq morphed into ISIS, and, uh, and now we're seeing in other groups that have emerged. Here's one of the tragedies that is often overlooked, not even really talked about. Did you know that as Islam began to spread, it spread into what was predominantly at that time Christian communities initially? Did you know that between the, year, uh, the, the years, excuse me, the centuries of the 7th and the 10th centuries, only slowed down by the Crusades, that over half of the Christian church worldwide was decimated by Islam? Over half of the church. The Quran, here's what the Quran teaches uh, about Jesus. <laughs> it teaches that Jesus was a prophet, the forerunner to Muhammad. Now, Muslims believe in the prophets. They believe in Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, about 140 others, and Jesus as prophets. And Jesus is the second highest prophet only to Muhammad. They believe that he was born of a virgin. He was sinless. He performed miracles. He walked on water. He even raised the dead. He is and he was a great prophet. Yet the Muslim, because of uh, Islam's teaching, believes that he is not the eternal son of God. For God is not triune in nature to the Muslim. Muslims do not believe that Jesus was crucified. For Muhammad said, God would never allow, Allah would never allow such a holy man to be crucified. So it only gave the appearance that he was crucified and a substitute. See, we believe that Jesus was our substitute. But Islam teaches that there was another most... Uh, Traditions hold that it was Judas of Iscariot that substituted for Jesus' death on the cross, and God just simply took him up to heaven without dying. And he will later return as the Messiah. But as the Messiah, he will kill all the Jews and all the Christians for believing that he was the Son of God. He will kill all pigs. He doesn't like pork. He will destroy all crosses. He will then, Jesus will then get married, live 40 years, die, be buried in Medina beside Muhammad where he will await the resurrection. So when a Muslim tells you, hey, I believe in Jesus, 
Consistently throughout the Quran, Muhammad declares, paraphrasing, Allah has no son. Consistently, a number of passages. Oddly enough, how many of you know the Dome of the Rock? The third most holiest site to all of Islam. On the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, inscribed either on the very top or on one of the highest parts of the edifice, says these words, God has no son. So here we are, just real quickly. I'm going to start turning. I only have about one more page. So here's the thing. Are all Muslims jihadists? No. But they're not. They're not. They're not all jihadists. However, militant Islam grows within the ranks of peaceful Islam. So here's what many of the Christian reformers of hundreds of years ago considered Islam. They considered Islam to be the antichrist of the scriptures. So listen real quick. Here's what Martin Luther. Martin Luther said this, the founder of the Protestant Reformation. He said this, there are two regimes, that of the Pope and that of the Turk, which is Islam, are antichrist. So two regimes. John Calvin. John Calvin maintained Muhammad was one of the two horns of antichrist. Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, the the Presbyterian minister that gave one of the most famous sermons of all, sinners in the hands of an angry God would write in the 1700s, he would write, the two great works of the devil which he wrought against the kingdom of Christ are this, his, his anti-Christian papacy, the Roman Catholic Church, and the Mohammedan kingdoms, Jonathan Edwards concludes. I think it's possible that Daniel, the prophet Daniel, was prophesying of the age of Islam when he wrote about a movement that would wear out the saints of the Most High God. So since its evil conception, Islam has waged violent jihad on the inhabitants of the earth, especially Jews and Christians. And Islam grows through radical evangelism and jihad. Islam is, is outpacing the growth of the church in our generation. As a matter of fact, I saw one report that actually said that there are, there, there's, there's a moment where the, the, that two, two growing movements in the earth today, only two growing movements in the earth today in this sense, One is Islam, the second is Pentecostalism. They're on a collision course. So so with this, conversion by conquest. This powerful movement has been surging again. And what you see in the Middle East, we can say it's a terrorist organization. Yes, I understand the nature of them using those words. However, it is more than, Hamas is more than a terrorist organization. It is an Islamic fundamentalist movement. And as it gets destroyed, another will rise in its stead. Because it gains, it's, uh, the people gain their ideology from being fundamental to the Quran. Did you know you're listed as a fundamental Christian? You're listed as a fundamental Christian because you believe the Bible literally as much as possible. As long as it's, it's easily understood that it's literal, you take it literal. The fundamentalist goes to the Quran and says, God says practice jihad, and they do everything in their power with great conviction to practice jihad. So in the doctrinal comparison, very quickly as I close, and I'm not going to preach long because I don't have a lot, I'm not educated enough to have this in great depth. But I will say this, I think about the young adult. I think about, I told you last week, I think about my sons that are in the military. And I, when I say that, I'm thinking about your sons and daughters as well that are in the military, that are fighting battles. But I think about the next generation. I think about when my sons are, are, are perhaps gone or retired or got out of the military, and then other sons and daughters that are these 12 and 15-year-olds, and they're going to still be dealing. It's only going to continue to increase. Did you know Islam has an eschatological ideology the way that we Christians do? What do we call eschatological ideology? We have an expectation that Jesus Christ is going to come back to the earth. Right, we do, right? To judge the living and the dead. Paul the apostle preached it, right? He said, this is my gospel that I preach, that Christ will return and judge the living and the dead. We believe that. Well, Islam believes in that return of Jesus. We, I told you about that. They believe in the end of all things, the consummation of all things. They believe in all of that, and, and, and they don't know whether they're truly saved or not and until they either die in jihad or they stand before God one day. But they believe this. They believe they can hasten the end of the world by the practice of jihad. So the way that you and I feel compelled to feel compelled to say, you know what, Christ could be coming in our generation. We need to send missionaries around the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
they feel compelled to practice jihad to hasten the end of days. So if you were to ask me, say, Pastor Brown, so okay, so that, why, why would I bring this to you today as a church family? I'm warning our church family. We typically only see these things on television screens. But that could change. Because here's what one of the Islam, there are many different ways to practice jihad. You could go and look, there's a, I think there's eight different ways to practice jihad. A lot of different ways, not just with the sword, there's different ways. They'll hide in, in entire cultures while they, they, they grow, while their influence grows. You think about that, there, there's about 25 countries around the world that the entirety of their government is Islam, and you can't preach or teach or have a, a, a church or any such thing. I remember our American soldiers during um, you know, Desert Storm and Desert Shield took base in Saudi Arabia. Okay, I had a lot of guys that I was in during Desert Storm and Desert Shield. And, of course, that wasn't really about, you know, what we thought was Islam. It was about Iraq going into Kuwait and liberating the, the, the people of Kuwait and protecting the oil really is what it was about, as you all know, because they were threatening to go into Saudi Arabia after that. And so, but beyond that, I, I can remember, so if you were a Christian and, you, and, you, and you're there on the soil of Saudi Arabia and you're there to protect them from being invaded by Iraq, you could not worship. On the base only, they allowed them to have chapels as long as there were no windows, where no door, no, no music could go outside the building, no sound could be heard because it's forbidden in Saudi Arabia to practice or to preach Christianity. You could quickly and easily be beheaded. And so, yet, we still consider Saudi Arabia to be a great ally of America. Oddly enough, like two-thirds of the... Um, of the 9-11 attackers were all from Saudi. I'm telling you, it will hide. It hides. If you learn more about it, it, it again, go beyond me. Go far beyond me. As a matter of fact, if you, I'll recommend a simple book you can order it online. It's called Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam. It's the Historical Roots and the Contemporary Threat by Peter Hammond. He's a missionary in South Africa, and he writes some firsthand experience. If you want that, I'll tell you where you can find it, and you can buy it. Amazon, because it's simple enough that you can learn just enough about it to just be informed, just to be informed. I'm going to conclude this with you today again. So, what am I, again, why, why am I telling our church family? I'm telling our church family because I made that statement last week. I said, this can get bigger and worse quickly. Because there are Islamic jihadists that are waiting for a spark, waiting for a, a reason to launch into a global, worldwide jihad. The Hamas organization called for it. They asked. They said, on this day, every, but people didn't practice it, but they're trying for it. They're, they're hoping that it will. And so who knows? Doctrinally, here's the issue to close with today. I just want to say this. Islam does not believe that Yeshua, the son of Mary, is the son of God. But I want you to know today that I believe that Jesus is, was the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I believe that today, don't you? I hope you do. I believe that it says this is the record that God gave to us eternal life, and His life is in the Son, right? He that does not have the Son does not have life. But if you have the Son, then you have life. Hallelujah. So let me just tell you, quoting from the book for just a moment, quoting. These are not my own words. In a comparison, and I don't like to compare anybody with Jesus because there is no comparison. <laughs> He's the brightness of, of the glory of God, the firstborn from the dead. Come on, somebody. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright day star of God. I don't like to compare an earthly man with him. But the author here said this. He said this, Jesus healed the sick. Muhammad healed no one. Jesus could make the blind see. Muhammad could make the seeing blind. Jesus made the cripple to walk, but Muhammad could make the walking cripple. Jesus could take a dead man and make him live. Muhammad would take a live man and make him dead. Jesus multiplied food to feed his followers. Muhammad would divide the loot that was stolen in the caravan attacks with his followers. Jesus could walk on water. Muhammad rode a camel. If you visit Medina, you will find Muhammad's tomb. 
If you visit Jerusalem, you'll find an empty tomb, glory to God. And I want to say this today. I watched the video of the conversion of an Islamic extremist terrorist that was converted because he had a vision of a living Christ. And he heard these words in that vision. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And you have to understand that what's happening in the Middle East is not just about a landmass. It is a spiritual battle. It is light versus darkness. It is the spirit of Antichrist hiding behind a spiritual ideology. And I challenge the young people that's under the sound of my voice, don't be duped. I'm not saying, listen, we need to evangelize Muslims. My path may never cross with a host of, of, uh, of people that worship Islam. I, I may not, but you may on a school campus somewhere. So, so I'm, I'm, we, I said it last week, I'll say it one more time. Jesus died on the tree. He died on the tree for the Jew and the Gentile. And I want you to know, so today, I'm not, saying, I'm not trying to say no, that we in turn practice jihad because they are. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, as Paul said, warn those. Be wary. Be watchful. Right? Because the enemy, the enemy, the spiritual enemy of all man, the spirit of Antichrist, is present in the earth now. Now, I know some of you are waiting for the Antichrist. I'm telling you, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work right now. And it will hide, and it will mask, and it will parade, and it's got a system and a, uh, uh, of, of, of how it can advance. And I'll tell you what, you and I better be vigilant, more vigilant than ever before. We better be more guarded than ever before. And let me tell you this, I've told you this, and I'm going to close right now. And that is, you better know in what you believe, and you better know why you believe it. Right, you better get rooted and found it. You better get grounded in the Word of God. You better hide the Word of God, the Word of faith that I've been preaching. You better hide it in your heart so that you will know, so that you will know when somebody comes and tries to tell you that Jesus was, uh, you know, born of a virgin, but he had uh, he, he he was not conceived by the by the Spirit of the Living God. That he's waiting in heaven so that he can come back to the earth and get married and then live for forty years and then die. And all that, all that stuff, and you have in your heart, say, let me tell you, I know about the Son of Man, and I know about the Son of God. Come on, somebody. I know Him. I'm telling you, He found me when I was lost and undone. I was in sin. I was weak and broken, and I was guilty before God. But then I found in the person of Jesus Christ, the one that pillowed His head on the tree for me, so that I could have the love of God, and I could know Him, and so that I can worship Him with all my heart, soul, and mind. I have a relationship with the Father because of the Son, when I've seen the Son, I've seen the Father. Jesus was the brightness of the glory of God, the express image of His person. My eyes have never seen the Father, but in my mind when I meditate upon and I think about the silhouette and the person and the words and the actions and the deeds of this man called Jesus, I have seen the Father. And therefore, I love Him, not because I first loved Him, but because He first loved me. You better know in what you believe. I'm going to get off of my soapbox next week. But I'll conclude the message by asking Brother Daryl to come back to the piano. My, heavy, my heart was heavy last week. And it's still heavy today. I want to go back to a statement that I made last week. Things can get worse. This is real. Let me just tell you, this is real. This is real. I'm not... this. I think in America, because we have been kind of just, you know, protected for some of these things in our generation, it's all just on a screen. You know, let me, let me give you an example of this. I think about this. Well, teenagers don't do stupid things. I know that that's asking a lot. Did you know there were, in, I think in Alabama, back during the days when ISIS really began to gain its movement, Two young 17, 18-year-old girls, because ISIS is crying out, come and be a part of this movement. Two girls, two girls, left their families and ran away to go and marry an Islamic man that was fighting jihad. Because it was just a game. It was just like this wild adventure, like, again, some teenagers, when they leave home for college, go and do stupid things. 
this is what this is what they thought they would do. Let's go marry two, and they get caught in that world, captured in that world, caught. Both were pregnant. Then Syria, the last I heard, one of which from Alabama, the great state of Alabama, was living in a refugee camp in Syria. Her husband killed in the jihad war, and, and she's begging to come back to the United States. But her actions were, the, she helped practice and, and terrorism, so she may not. She may not. She may have forfeited her American citizenship by that act. So what I'm trying to tell you is this is not a game. This is not a game. This is real. It's been the most violent, bloody, uh, communism and Islam, are, are the isms there, if you will, in that sense. Communism here, Islam here, have shed more blood. And we all kind of, oh yeah, communism, but we've, we've, not folk, we've not seen the effects that Islam has had on the world. Guard your heart, guard your mind, know what you believe, Amen. right? Amen. Pray against the spirit of Antichrist. Pray for the conversion. I told you last week one of the, I don't know how this happens, I don't know how, but it's just God. In Iran, you know, where it's, it's how many of you have ever seen pictures? The younger people don't even understand this. When you see Iran, all you see is Islamic fundamentalism. Go back and look at Iran in 1970, before the 1979 or 77 revolution. It would shock you, the two worlds, shock you, of what it looked like prior before the fundamentalist took over. And yet with that, one of the greatest revivals in the earth today is inside Iran. God said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Paul said this, he said, we may be bound, but the word of God is not bound. So again, you got to be careful. We don't want to have hatred in our heart. Just because I warn you, I'm not have hatred in my heart. To speak the truth is not to have hatred. Right? No matter what this wicked culture tries to tell you. I'm just telling you, you trace the origin of Islam, it was birthed in blood. And it's advanced by blood. And it continues to advance by blood to this very hour. Know what it is. It's the spirit of Antichrist. Pull it down in prayer. Reject it in prayer. Pray for the conversion. The conversion of those that are trapped in that darkness. Come on, somebody. Won't y'all stand up with me today? I feel privileged to be your pastor. I knew, I'm going to say that I said I wasn't going to make light of anything at all. I knew now wouldn't be the time to then pray for Sister Lisa. Because uh, I knew what my heart was heavy with to preach. I just think, church family, we need to just bow our heads in prayer for just a moment and just pause. Last week we prayed. We prayed for Israel. The state of Israel. We prayed for the Jew. And we prayed for the Gentile, didn't we? Do y'all remember that? Have you been praying this week and praying? We prayed for salvation. And I, I didn't focus as much last week on protection in one sense. I was just concerned. I knew that there was going to be blood spilled. For, there was just no way. It's, un, in a, it's, not avo, it's unavoidable. Blood's going to be spilled, even innocent lives, in the, in the response, the justifiable response of the state of Israel. But today, today I'm, I'm kind of moved even farther to say, you know what, we do need to pray for protection. We do need to pray for protection for Israel as they go in and, and start this land offensive. We do need to pray. But we also want to pray today, God, in the name of Jesus, about jihad, about the doctrine of Islam, about how it sometimes hides and it's masked and, and it kind of is paraded as a nonviolent religion. But God, but the truth of the matter. Let us all know the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But God, the thing I want to pray is that all of us have to guard our hearts, lest we allow hatred to be inside of us. I pray, fathers. Last week I prayed for the Palestinian. Today I'm going to, bring that a little bit closer. And I said, I'm going to pray 
for those trapped in Islam. Whether they're a jihadist, a fundamentalist, or just one that's trapped, he has to do it out of threat of life. I pray, Father, against that doctrine. Deliver those men and women from darkness. Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Join your faith with mine from I don't know what to do but to pray. I, don't, I can't just let this sermon go, okay, I taught the church, I educated the church to the best of my ability, as limited as that was. But the one thing I know how to do, I know how to pray, and I know how to call upon the name of God, and to call upon the power of the Word of God. They have a sword, they call it jihad. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of Almighty God. And I pray that Christ will be preached in every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. Glory to God. And that by the supernatural power of the Spirit of God, deliver men and women from that darkness. God, in the Islamic communities, heal the sick, God. God, let, 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 let angels begin to go forward, God. And let wherever there's a Christian witness... Let them be emboldened by the supernatural power of Almighty God. Give them apostolic signs and wonders, God. Raise the dead. Heal the sick, God. Perform miracles. Anything that will awaken the people from this stupor. I remember the word says that now our salvation is nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. We must gird ourselves, Father, and be prepared for the age in which we live. Father, today I thank you. I've done my part. That's all I could do today. My heart is delivered of, of what I brought to this pulpit and to this church family. Now what I do pray is, church family, pray this with me very quickly if you would. Our young adults. I just chose random ages, 15 to 25. I could have gone lower, could have went higher. Our young adults. God, I pray, Lord, I pray that they're going to know what they believe. That they'll be true disciples of Christ. That they can discern the error from the right or the good. That evil and righteousness will be discernible to them. Good and evil, they'll be able to discern it and know the difference of what's true and right and what's false. God, I pray that over them today, that you'll keep them. Keep all of us, Father. And God, help each one of us not to harbor hatred and bitterness in our heart. But I want to remind you, church family, just quickly as we close. I gotta stop. I'm going to stop right now. As your heads are bowed, I know I'm taking a long time, I'm sorry. Maybe there's somebody under the sound of my voice that doesn't have the son. Not S-U-N, S-O-N, the son. He that hath the son has life. Jesus died for you, friend. He died for you, sir. He died for you, ma'am. You were in sin like everyone else. But he loved you enough to give his life for you. For you, so that you could be forgiven of your sin, and you could have eternal life. You may be here among us today, and you may have never had a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give you that opportunity. Is there anyone to the sound of my voice today that says, Pastor, pray with me. Pray with me today, because I'd like to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Church family, as we close today, remember our missionaries. I meant to bring a letter up here today from our the Assemblies of God has a lot of missions opportunities in the Islamic world. Who will pray for them? Remember them in prayer. They covet your prayers. They ask you to, to pray for their endeavors. So guard your heart. Let me remind you two things as we close. Muhammad was asked, what are the two greatest commandments of the Quran? He said, first, to submit to Allah. Second, to practice jihad. Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments in the law? He said, to love the Lord God with your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's the lie. That separates. Don't harbor hate in your heart. Walk in love. Walk in grace. Bind the spirit. We give no place to the, to the we, know, we know no man after the flesh. We pray for people to be reached by the power of the gospel. So, Father, I commit this sermon and this fellowship to you. My heart is released of the burden that I brought to them today. I pray that it's a spark. It's a spark for them to improve or to grow in their understanding of this very complex and difficult subject. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said amen and amen and amen and amen. Listen, God bless you.